John, let me ask you a question. Is there anything that you own currently that after you die, people are going to fight over? Like your kids or anybody? Um, I mean, I don't have a whole lot of stuff of, of major monetary value. Um, I would hope my kids would fight over stuff that they remember about me. Um, maybe, you know, I don't know, like pictures or books or, or things that, that um, you know, we've done uh, together. Um, maybe old copies of Real Podcast, Real Movies Podcast. Absolutely. Like that. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know that, that there's anything that my, my kids are just going to be chomping at the bit to have of mine. I own a Miss Pac-Man machine. And I anticipate that after I die, if that baby's still working, there's going to be an all-out war. Yeah. Everybody who knew me is going to want that. Absolutely. I'm just, I'm just telling you. It, and it's going to have to go to a good home. It is. It's going to have to go to... And obviously my son gets first call. Yeah. However, I'm, I'm not saying that if, say, the city of Fort Worth wanted to take it and put it in a museum, that they wouldn't be able to do so. Which, of course, obviously, <laughs> is, the, is sort of the subject of today's documentary, which is the 2009 film... The Art of the Steel. I think an enormous conspiracy is at work here. No one knows this story. This is the scandal of the art world. Barnes was way ahead of his time. He collected some of the greatest art in the history of the world. The Barnes Foundation is the single most important American cultural monument of the first half of the 20th century. They've got more Cezannes than are in the entire city of Paris. There's 181 Renoirs, 59 by Matisse, Picasso, 46. It is the greatest act of cultural vandalism since World War II. I, I started, the first time I saw this movie was about two years ago, and, and I kind of want to address something that we haven't really addressed here on Real Movies yet, but that is that can your movie experience be altered by what you're doing because when I first saw this there was something that drew me to this documentary that I actually liked and when we revisited it here I'm going to tell everybody up front um, I, I was sorely mistaken by my first impression of this movie because when I watched it again I really don't like this movie I really disliked the movie and so something caused me to want to watch it or want to talk about it um on the podcast, because of my secondary viewing, I have changed my mind on this completely, and I, I really don't like the documentary anymore. Um, yesterday, I participated in um, I participated in the celebration of the Mexicans over the French at the Battle of Puebla, commonly known as Cinco de Mayo, uh, by celebrating with several margaritas and beer. And uh, I came home. From a Cinco de Mayo celebration, and I was not really in the mood to watch a documentary about art. Uh, <laughs> how, however, <laughs> however, um, I go to find the Apple TV remote that puts Netflix on our big screen TV. I want to watch it in nice comfort of my living room. My five-year-old has uh, learned how to use the Apple TV awesome, and... The only bad thing is he will take the remote and it will disappear. 
And so I could not find it anywhere. And after searching for 30 minutes, looking in every crevice, looking in every chair, looking in uh, under everything and anywhere that it could be, I couldn't find it. So frustrated from that, then I had to sit down at my desk, at my computer and watch it on the computer and just did not have the best viewing experience. So I was already tired from several nice beverages that I'd had earlier. And uh, I just wasn't in the mood to hear about billionaires arguing with millionaires over where to put priceless art. I don't know if my now real disdain for this movie is shaped by my secondary viewing experience, but it was not the same experience that I had the first time I got it. You think your son is single-handedly responsible for ruining this movie for you? No, no, he's not. Uh, there are a lot of things here that I have... And, and the Mexicans for winning <laughs> yes, over the press. Yes, Well, you know, I mean, I was I was very tired by the time uh, I got down to watch this, this movie, and, um, you know, I, I don't know that... It did me any good to be extremely exhausted and watching a, a movie that is slow to begin with. I mean, this is a very slow movie. I'm so glad you said that because I, I found that this movie dragged, and I was worried that there was something wrong with me. No, like I was going to be in the minority here, but I'm really glad to hear you say that. No, it is. It is slow to begin with, and really, it's talking about a, a real petty argument between a bunch of people who are now dead. So, um, all right, let's get into the movie. Yes. If you haven't seen the movie, it's called The Art of the Steel, and it is on Netflix. It's streaming on Netflix. It's about the Albert Barnes collection of post-imperialist, um, early modernist art that are, excuse me, not imperialist, post-impressionist, uh, early modernist art, and, um... He has probably what is what is known as the greatest collection of modern of this modernist art in the world. Certainly, the greatest yes. private collection. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And you know, and they go through and they talk about how absolutely incredible his collection is, how it dwarfs the the MoMA in uh, New York City, how it dwarfs the Met, how it dwarfs the Philadelphia Museum. You, of art. We should we should say what's in the collection. I have it here. Uh, just, just, oh, so yeah. you, just so Go listeners, if you if you want to get like a firm grasp on this, the the collection includes 181 Renoirs, 69 Cezans, 60 Matisses, 44 Picassos, and 14 Modigliani's. It has overall it is 9,000 pieces in the collection and is valued at over 25 billion. That's a billion with a B dollars. So this is yeah. no like th- this. This is no backyard IKEA kind of yeah, art collection. This guy didn't go to Kirkland's to get his art. No. Yeah, he's not just you know. Hey, that looks pretty. Throw it on the wall. He was a serious collector, and he was way ahead of his time in collecting these modern artists. I mean, he knew most of them, and he was getting them directly from most of them. As I mean, he was good friends with Henry Matisse. Um, so, I mean, even so much so that Henry Matisse came and painted an entire wall of the Barnes Foundation that when asked by the, you know, an art dealer, how do you put a price tag on this? He says, there's no way to put a price tag on it because it was, it was designed for him in this space 
and and it can't exist outside of this. And so for me to try and price this or anybody else to try and price this is just ridiculous. Yeah, it's, a, it's so, the very definition of priceless. Absolutely. So, um, I mean, nobody is arguing that this is not an absolutely incredible collection. Nobody has any qualms about it. It's just, what do you do with it now that he's gone and where it sits and how things kind of function uh, within Philadelphia? And apparently he feuded unbelievably with the Philadelphia Museum of Art because the Philadelphia Museum of Art said his collection was trash when he first wanted to show it there. And that was when modern art wasn't really accepted at the time. Back in what the what 20s yeah like in the 20s so he shows it in the 20s and <clears throat> they kind of poo-poo it because they're old you know aristocratic you know they they're big into impressionists they're big into everything that came before that they and, turn their monocles yes. up at him and yes absolutely they're diamond encrusted canes and they say <laughs> away with your little bourgeois art your picassos your saisons yeah and then all of a sudden lo and behold these guys get popular and more and more um you know things come about and they now want his collection they now want him to uh to come and show it, but he said, look, you poo-pooed me the first time, no more. I love his attitude. And by the way, we should mention, Barnes is dead. Like, he is, he is not yeah. in any way a subject of this documentary, but the way it's retold, his, his attitude about this is, look, you didn't want me when I wanted when I wanted you, so I went out and I got my own thing. So, yeah. screw you guys, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open a collection up in my own house. Right. And, I mean, he died in 1951. Mm-hmm. And... This collection was carried on for more than 50 years exactly how he he had instructed for it to be done. Yeah. Um, however, there are people who really wanted this collection to go elsewhere. And, and finally, um, spoiler alert, I don't know if it's a spoiler since it's the opening scene of the movie that says... <laughs> It's it's opening at the Philadelphia Museum of Art in 2012, which is actually in two weeks. That that it actually gets moved to where exactly where Albert Barnes does not want it to be. Yeah, it, yeah. The the key the the real conflict of the film is that Barnes left very specific instructions in his will about what was and was not to be done with the art. And this is basically the entire setup of the film and the the origin of the title is basically this is the city of Philadelphia figuring out how how to circumvent Barnes's wishes for his own art so that they can take it and put it in their own museum. I had a, an art handler there and the first time she picked up the Van Gogh postman and she sat on a bench and she cried. Barnes wasn't interested in a mass experience. He was interested in a quality experience. And, and I get it. Like, I get that what was done legally here was super shady. Mm-hmm. And there were some really, really underhanded things done in courtrooms. There were um, lawyers that played some tricks and and really kind of misrepresented what was going on and how it was done. And yes, I guess the big, bad, you know, evil politicians won over this tiny little, you know, foundation... However, I'm not so sure that's not a good thing. Yeah, that was that was yeah. a big thing. And for a little while, I wondered, like, the, the issue is whether or not 
the art is available for anyone who wants to go see it. Right. You know, and so, and I mean, of course, the people at the Barnes Foundation would say, look, it's available to whoever wants to see it. It's just you can only see it in in this specific context and the days that we're allowing. You have to call ahead and make it. You have to work to get to it. Yes. And the way it's set up at at the Philadelphia, like the public museum, is it's it's open seven days a week. You can go see it whenever you want. And so it's free to the public. If you're in Philadelphia, stop by. It'll be here. It's good for tourism. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's awesome for tourism. And and now 10,000 people a week will see it, whereas only 500 people a week were seeing it. Yeah. I mean, when it, when it comes down to me and, and what this is about, I have a hard time because it's almost as though the filmmakers were champion like championing why there should be this... Um, artistic elitism, like why only a few people should be able to see this every yeah. week, um, and why? Because his wishes were to keep this from the masses. Because even when he was alive, it wasn't open to the public. It was his personal private collection, and only the schools that he he kind of ran were able to see all of this stuff. Yeah, it, it's funny. He discriminated against the wealthier, upper-class people. Like, if you were a plumber, yeah. you had a better chance of seeing this work than if you were an aristocrat. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I get you can do what you want when you're alive and it's there. But if it becomes – if it's, if it's about – he's all about education. Yes. He's all about let's, let's make this an education. Well, I have tried to figure out if the Alfred Barnes uh, – if the Barnes Foundation – still runs a school, and I'm pretty sure they don't. The school no longer goes on, but what they call their educational influence is they open it up to specifically on those other days is like, are like for field trip days. So if if you have a school that wants to go see it, they schedule a time, and then they go in depth with tours, they go in depth with, with here's what you're looking at, why you're looking at it. I mean, really do... They do a good educational process, but there is no school that is there anymore that that we're bas- that they're basically ripping this from. Okay, so that's kind of what I mean. I would have been a little bit more on the Barnes Foundation side if I thought there is a specific school that is there that they are stripping this from, and now they're no longer going to be able to have that at their disposal every day. But since all you're doing is scheduling. Um, you know, tours from, you know, whatever public school wants to go tour this, and so they take a field trip to it, well, they can go five miles north to the Philadelphia Museum of Art that's actually in Philadelphia as opposed to the suburb of Philadelphia where it was located and see the same thing. Yeah, and it's really, the film is really about a moral conundrum, and I realize the filmmakers unapologetically fall down on the side of Parnes, but it really is a conundrum. It's at what point does art become like? First of all, who does art belong to? Yes. And second of all, if someone who owns an abundance of art that is bene- that is beneficial to all of humanity, arguably, is it is it in the public interest to make that art more available? You yes. know, and so, and all and also secondarily, how important is it to honor the wishes of a dead man? Yes. You know, and and you know, I mean, I think that on some level. You can try to honor the wishes of a dead person, but 
eventually you kind of need to honor what's best for everyone mm-hmm. in the situation. And yes, did did these politicians and did the Philadelphia Museum of Art benefit from this? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and, and granted, I don't think the Barnes Foundation is going to get the, the good end of the deal here. At the same time, I think people are benefited more. I would have probably never been able to go see the Barnes collection. And of course, the, the counter-argument on, on the side, just to sort of play that, that part here in yeah. the conversation, the counter-argument is, well, shouldn't some things be difficult? Like, is accessibility really the only value? Like, for example, let's say there are a lot of people who want to see the Statue of Liberty. But it's like, yeah. well, New York, it's, first of all, it's hard to get to New York from everywhere. Yeah. And second of all, when you're in New York, it's a pain in the rear to get to the Statue of Liberty. It's right. not in the middle of Manhattan. It's like way the yeah. heck out. And so what if someone comes along and says, listen, in order to make the Statue of Liberty more accessible, we're going to move it to Times Square. You know, or we're yeah. going to put it on tour. And I agree with you. I, yeah. I'm, I think art is different than, than a monument. Like, you know, I, I feel like the Statue right. of Liberty represents something because of where it sits. Right. If the Statue of Liberty was mobile, like, that would be a different thing. Yeah. So there is this dilemma of, is accessibility more important or it, or should art be difficult to get to? Should people have to work to go see this stuff? Well, I mean, I think we kind of addressed this uh, when we actually talked about Pearl Jam 20. Okay. Right? And when Eddie Vedder wanted to play these small, tiny clubs for just the people that really liked his music. But the problem was there was more people that really liked his music that could fit in a, you know, coffee shop. Yeah. And so he had to move them to bigger and bigger venues. Well, there are more people that want to see this art than can fit in the 500 people a week at the Barnes Foundation in this little suburb. So eventually, necessity says that you have to make this available to all of the people that want to see it. And and another thing that I that I really kind of started questioning here after a while is, yes, Barnes bought it, it was his, and he owned it. But at the same time, if it's for education and for the people, what about like what did the actual painters want out of this? Mm-hmm. What did they want to do with their art? Did they want it to just be seen in this tiny little spot by a few people, or did they want the world to know about it? And, and so, by that argument, though, and I'm again, I'm I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate mm-hmm. just just for the sake of you know conversation. Right. But no, yeah, for, for by that logic, it, should it be in Philadelphia? Isn't Philadelphia too small a tourist spot? Like maybe we should move it to, to the Smithsonian. Yeah. Maybe the Smithsonian or the MoMA should come in and say, look, Philadelphia is not getting the tourism that we get, and this art needs to be seen by more people. And so we're going to just reach down into your group, into your collection. We're going to take what we want. Right. And, and I, I mean, I guess that argument can be made. The only thing is is that I think, I think to some point you can say they provide a big enough venue. I mean, you don't have to make it the biggest venue, but it needs to be made in a bigger venue. Mm-hmm. than it is. Um, I mean, that would be the only thing that I would argue. I mean, I guess you're right that that it, that, that argument becomes inf- inf- infinitely regressive and it then everything would have to go to the most accessible spot in the world. Right, yeah. The, then you could you could say, like, all, all all interesting things have to either end up in New York, D.C., <laughs> yeah. or Los Angeles. Yeah, and so, exactly. Um, or, or maybe back to its roots. Like, if you have to send it right. all back to, like, Rome or Italy or, um, or France or wherever. Yeah. But, I mean, that's there's so many different rabbit holes you can go down. But really, ultimately, I, I think you and I are here in agreement. I, I think I I am of the opinion that overall it's probably a good thing. Long term, it's, it's a good thing that more people are going to be able to see this art. Yeah. It's a bummer that Philadelphia had to get it the way that they did. Um, 
it's, it does seem kind of shady, and obviously some of the people here have walked into a moral gray area. Where, oh, absolutely, you know, yeah. Uh, like, a, <laughs> like, like a pretty shady sort of dealing. But, but overall, like you said, as a tourist, or as a potential tourist in Philadelphia, I'm glad I can go see it. Because yeah. I wasn't about to schlep out to yeah. Monroe, wherever, to, to see you know, this work. He established his foundation where he did to get it away from Philadelphia. We've got this magnificent collection being hidden away from the world. There was a vast conspiracy to move the barns. Down in Philadelphia, ten times more people a day can be able to see it. I would have been much more interested in, you know, some of the legal ramifications of how this kind of happened, but then it always comes back to you know, oh, the the wishes of, of Albert Barnes are just not going to be upheld. And eventually I wanted to be like, Albert Barnes has been dead for 50 years. How long do you need to honor his wishes? Yeah. You know? Yankee Stadium got torn down. It was great. It was nostalgic. But they needed a better place to play baseball. Um, you know, there are plenty of institutions that just, they, they wear out their, their lifespan. And... You know, and I mean, I do think it's interesting. I had this kind of diatribe of uh, at the very beginning on your experience and, and how you view something will alter your um, experience with it. And, you know, maybe maybe it being at the Philadelphia Museum of Art will alter people. I think that maybe being at the Philadelphia Museum of Art is what some of the people in the Barnes Foundation or the Friends of the Barnes um, feel it's going to alter the experience. Right? Yeah. It's going to be a new experience or a different experience. I'm, I'm thinking that, uh, you know, it's probably not going to be that much of a, a different experience. I mean, they did steal $100 million of taxpayer money to, to build it, <laughs> which, yeah. I, which I actually thought was way <laughs> more interesting. I was like, why is nobody upset about that? Yeah, they're, they're a lot more interested in the art than they are the cash. Yes. From the, yeah. I was like, and then I kind of looked up as far as the population of, of Pennsylvania. They took $100 million. Somebody allocated, somebody that has no name, all of a sudden motioned and allocated $100 million in a budget proposal to to be built for the Barnes Foundation at the Philadelphia Museum of Art. Nobody has any signing of it. Nobody knows who did it, but it just winds up in this giant budget proposal for the entire state of Pennsylvania. And because it was just a line item in there, it got signed. And this was even before the Museum of Art got control over the Barnes Foundation. So it was like this miracle that oh my gosh how did this money just wind up here and be allocated and I did look up the population of Pennsylvania there's a little over 12 million people in Pennsylvania so basically they stole nine dollars from everybody in Pennsylvania okay yeah that doesn't sound so bad no it doesn't they stole nine bucks from everybody in Pennsylvania to build a place for the Barnes Foundation to go to the the Philadelphia Museum of Art yeah, there's there's so much shady like backdoor dealing here, and a lot of people. What one of the more interesting things about this documentary, in my opinion, were the interviews that they were not able to get. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like every like twenty minutes or so, you'd have like a title card that comes up and says this person was unwilling to to talk to us. So I mean, I appreciated on the one hand, I appreciated that they were willing to bet the documentarians were wanting to talk to everybody. Right. And I was also really interested in the fact that so many people were not wanting to. Like, there's, there's a like, what if I say the wrong name? What if, like, to to me, silence in a situation like this just says I have something to hide. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't think it's new to anybody that there are shady politicians out there. No. And that's not any eye-opener that we're giving out. But yeah, there was some really shady stuff that happened here. You know, no, you won't be able to see it in its original place, but I, I'm pretty sure they are going to arrange the art in the exact same way that it was arranged. Like, the Philadelphia Museum of Art is going to arrange it how it was arranged at, at the barns. I mean, it's basically going to look almost exactly the same way, just in a different building. Yeah. You're probably going to walk in, and if there's no windows in this place, it's going to look just like the Barnes Foundation. It's going to look just like where it did in Lower Marion inside the Philadelphia Museum of Art. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard for me to care about this move in, in the grand scheme of things because I really think that it's actually going to benefit more people. Yeah. Well, and so almost the ironic twist of this film is, like, the more people that watch this, especially now that the, the exhibit is just about to open... This becomes free advertising for the Philadelphia Museum of yeah. Art. Like, I am yeah. way more... Inter- if I go to Philadelphia, I am way more likely to go to the museum yes. than I would have been a week ago before I'd seen this movie. So, well, And and I'd never seen this movie. I didn't know about the Barnes Collection. I didn't either. I had no idea that this existed. And so, I mean, I've been to the MoMA and was blown away by some of the stuff that I saw there. But now, I mean, you know, I've been to Philadelphia twice in the last probably six years and next time I go I'm definitely going there I'm I'm definitely gonna stop off and see this like that's high on my priority list yeah because now there's new context for this yeah Yeah. absolutely and so yes I want to see it but actually I'm kind of glad that it's made easier it's now been made more available to me if I've only got a few hours in Philadelphia I've seen the Liberty Bell a couple of times. It's just a bell with a crack. I'm going to go see the other stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know? This I is mean, a great way to kill a couple hours. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, yeah, I'm sorry if I can't appreciate it the same way that a real art level, like a real art student can appreciate it. But, man, I do want to see it. And every time that I see something like that, I become more educated on it and I get more uh, interested in that. And I think it's from an educational standpoint, not everybody has the same passion, but if you can educate them a little bit each time and, and a little bit more, then uh, they will become lovers of the art and they will want to protect art everywhere. Yeah. This was such a this was such a low for me to come to this after watching Exit Through the Gift Shop, I swear. Yeah, this was this was quite a swing. <laughs> and, and what was funny is we picked these two to, to complement one another because they're oh, both about yeah. art and money <laughs> and like who owns it, who what and, and and this was such I, I'm, I'm I'm with you, and we'll get more into that as we get into the negatives and ratings. I assume, and so because I doubt you and I are gonna because last week um, exit through the gift shop got a collective rating of eighteen and a half, yeah, which is the highest <laughs> rating highest we've rating given we've anything. Got. So I something tells me the art of the steel is not gonna reach that level. No, so th- this is a bit <laughs> of a drop. But um, so on that note, though, let's jump to, to positives and negatives. Let's talk positives first. What'd you like about this? Uh, the thing that I did like about it was I learned what the Barnes collection was. I learned that there are some paintings out there that that I've never seen. There are some things out there that I've never heard about, and um, I thought that was incredible. And so I actually was kind of impressed by this. And then I was impressed that that the documentarians were able to kind of put together a cohesive story for, you know, an hour and 45 minutes on 
kind of make a case. I mean, there is some part of me that says, you know, it's really hard to try and persuade people to be on the side of intellectual elitism. Mm-hmm. And and they actually do make a case for maybe we should have a little bit of intellectual elitism, uh, even though I don't believe in that. I mean, as they, far they as do making, their best, though, as far they? as making yeah. an argument for it, it's not a bad argument. Um, even though I, I disagree with it on a lot of levels, um, I'm not mad at them. They did their best to try to make their point. Yeah, you know. Well, and and they use it like like every documentary that makes a good a, a good argument that we've seen so far. They argue with emotion, like they, yeah. they. It's not just like you know. It, it's not some abstract idea about where should this art be. Like who should get to view it. It's they're stealing the property mm-hmm. of a dead man, and and so they they reach they 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 do what they should do. They're right. they're reaching for the emotional core of what's going on here, and so and, and I started thinking about you know the the questions of well what if what if I die and I have something valuable that someone with power or money right. wants. Are they going to just take it from my my family, my estate, whatever? And so, yeah, I'm with you. I felt yeah. like it was well argued. And it I, does- I mean, I do think there is a huge difference between taking it from a family member who's rightly because that that's a person that owns it. That's and, right. As opposed to he had no kids, and so it went to a foundation, and and it was set up under a foundation, and and really it didn't get stolen from the foundation. The foundation kind of got into a hostile takeover by people who wanted it to move to. I mean, the foundation still exists today. Yeah, um, they just the board is all also on the board of the Philadelphia Museum of Art. Yeah, the foundation still exists, <laughs> but it has significantly less art than it yes. used to. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean that's kind of other other positives for you on this. No, no, <laughs> no. I thought I thought it raised interesting questions about whether or not a person can truly own art, you know, and who speaks for that art essentially, yeah. you know, because because really. Art, in, in a lot of ways, I mean, someone can own it, but in a lot of ways, it's only good to the extent that it's accessible to as many people as possible, like music or film or whatever. Like, we, again, we, like what we talked about with Pearl Jam 20, it's, is, is this music more valuable because more people can, can connect with it and have an emotional response to it? And so I feel like those questions are good questions, and I'm glad that it brought those questions up. However, I had a lot of negative thoughts about the film, too, which we should get into now. So you go first. Um, I mean, my negatives are just, one, how slow the movie is. Thank um, you. Yes. It is unbelievably slow. I, I have a, a, a blog that's all about documentaries called Don't Put Me to Sleep. The reason that I do that is because sometimes I stay up late at night watching documentaries. If it's a good documentary, it won't put me to sleep. If it's a bad documentary, I'll fall asleep in the middle of it. I found myself falling asleep in the middle of this a couple of times. Well, um, you were it, a bit imbibed. Uh, you enough. know, hey, I, a good documentary <laughs> will keep my attention no matter what my state is. All right. <laughs> and it had been a while since I'd been drinking, but... Uh, I mean, like, it, it had been a couple of hours since I'd had my last drink, but at that point... My body was like, yeah, this would be a good time to go to sleep. I, I listened to some talk radio, and they talk about how when the NBA lockout and the um, NFL lockouts were going on, people would just get such tired head because nobody wants to listen to billionaires arguing with millionaires about money. Mm-hmm. And I kind of felt that same way here. Like, nobody wants to watch these billionaires arguing with these elite millionaires about where 25 billion dollars of art is going to sit so everybody can come view it 
Because it's not like they're making it available to the public. It's not like they're giving it away or it's not like they're selling it off. They're keeping it all together. They're just simply moving its location. And on something so petty, I just got such tired head over it and, and just got almost angry that I was continuing to watch it. I, I had exactly the same thing. And what you're saying is so right. There's really no sympathetic figure in this film. No. It's the only the only person we're supposed to feel any sort of righteous indignation on behalf of has been dead for 60 years. Yeah. And, and, and he wasn't an awesome guy. No. So it's, it's, not, it's not like... There are plenty of people that say that he was kind of a jerk. Yeah. So even the people that were defending him are like, some people say he's a jerk, but... I think he really was just passionate, like which is just code for yeah. He was a jerk, he was but really I want to be nice to yeah, yeah. I want to be nice to him. Yeah, and so and so you've got the politicians and the money men on the other side. You got the foundation and this dead guy with some sort of personality issue on the other. And so I, I honestly, and I'm exactly with you. Honestly, I didn't care where the art went. Yeah. I, was, I was in part of me was thinking, you know what? Good for them if they get into a public museum, and which is weird because the the whole point of the documentary is to make me mad that it's going to a public right. museum. And I'm right with you, man. It was too long. It was too slow. They try, and there was lots of jargon that just lost me. Yes. There, and they try really hard with graphics and like mysterious music and like <laughs> then the people like really like ominous voiceover. Then they stole the art from blah blah blah, and and it, it just never hooked me. I just never cared in the entire hour and forty one minutes. I never found myself going, "Oh my gosh, I can't wait to see what yeah. happens next." But there was one part that I kind of laughed at just how absurd it was where they basically had these they, – they basically had the, the foundation um, board who had kind of come on in this hostile takeover um, – Pinned up on this cork board like they were suspects, like a scene and from it, The yes, Wire. Yes, yeah. like they were suspects yeah. in an investigation. And I was like, "Really? Come on!" So yeah, these I mean, guys—they're not Pablo Escobar. Yeah, exactly. Come on. They're—they're they're, they're trying really hard to manufacture a lot of intrigue mm-hmm. for those of us who watch a lot of TV. And so it just, man, it just, and maybe it worked because I read a lot of really positive reviews about this movie and I tried really hard to latch on to some of those. I, it just didn't hook me. I did not care. Yeah. And I was with you. I was like, I, I kept checking the timestamp on the Netflix, like how much longer is this movie yes. going to be? And that's a bad sign when I'm, when I'm, because uh, I did I never once did that with Dexter through the gift shop. Oh no. I, I yeah. But, I mean, this doesn't even, this doesn't even get in the same ballpark for me. No, the gift no. Shop. This, for the first time since we started doing this podcast, I felt like I was doing homework while yes. I was watching this. Yes, me too. Um, and you know, and and I would, you know, the reason that I talked about that at the beginning of the documentary is because I was wondering if me having to watch it after I was mad, after I was upset, and after I was, um, you know, just not in a great frame of mind affected my judgment on this. But I really don't think it did. I mean, I really think I don't know why I like. I kind of liked it the first time I saw it, but I didn't like it the second time I saw it. That, that is interesting that you could like it the first time, and not because I, I kept thinking, I wonder if I'd like it more if I watched it again. But you're telling me, yeah, just the opposite. Uh, yeah, it's I, less I liked interesting. It less. Yeah, that is interesting. Okay, so any other uh, thoughts on observations or anything like that? No, I mean we could rate. Let's rate. Okay, give me what, what do you got? I'm giving it a one. <laughs> Holy and, smokes! And the one is because I liked it the first time. 
Really? I'm giving it one point because I, at some point, liked it the first You're time. You're giving it a sympathetic point from, yes. from the, your first viewing. Yes. And a zero from your second viewing. Yes. I mean, I... You yeah. hated it. No, I did. I hated it. I was, I was a lot more mad after... I watched. I had to watch something to cheer me up after this. What'd you watch? Uh, I watched the the funny talk. Oh uh, yeah, the, the Ricky Gervais. Yeah. That's a good. Yeah, the, that's quite a shift. Yeah, I know. Well, I needed to laugh, <laughs> and so I watched uh, Ricky Gervais, Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, and and Louis C.K. talk about comedy. That so that is a far more interesting yes. thing to watch. I felt much better after watching that. Well, good. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, man, I, that's funny because I was afraid my rating was going to be way too low. But it, as it turns out, it's way it's way bigger than yours. I'm giving it a three. Wow! And, hey. and the only <laughs> reason the only reason it's that high is because I because I kind of want to go see the collection now. Yeah, like the I if I weren't interested in that aspect of it, I probably would have given it a, a one or a two also. Just right. because, but but it does at the very least. I walk away from this documentary with a little bit of it left on me because. I, I would like to see the collection, yeah. and I'm fascinated. And you know, the, it, it raises good questions, but I feel like this mo- this could have been a 25 minute piece on like 60 minutes, and been way better and more yes. interesting. Yes, than than it was. I, I feel like they stretched it and stretched it until they just beat me into submission, and I just didn't care. And so, so this is we went from 18 and a half last week with uh, exit through the gift shop. Now we're down to four, a collective four, our all time lowest score. Yes. So we went from the highest to the lowest. Yeah, which leaves all kinds of room for our next film, <laughs> Winnebago Man. Winnebago Man, which yes. I'm very excited to talk about. Next. Far more interesting subject matter than the Art of the Steel, to be sure. Yeah, if you're gonna watch Winnebago Man, uh, watch Winnebago Man, but also YouTube Winnebago Man and and watch his. His rant on YouTube as well. Don't watch it with the kids in the room. No, no, don't watch. <laughs> this, this is this is Pulp Fiction, Big Lebowski level cursing. So yes. if you're if, if your kid, in fact, it's going to be interesting to try and do the podcast next week because <laughs> this is a clean podcast. Yeah. We want this to be accessible for everybody. But man, there's going to be if we're playing clips from the film, there's going to be bleeps. I yeah, no you. kidding. So uh, anyway. Um, and you know what? I never said the title of the the podcast when we started. I never said what you were listening. You have been listening to Real the Movie. Real Movies podcast. I'm with John Rhodes. My name is Rob Carmack. John, how can people find us? Um, they can they can find the the podcast on Tumblr at realmoviespodcast.tumblr. They can find us on Twitter at Real Movies, and uh, they can like us on Facebook. And you can email us at Real Movies podcast at gmail.com if you have any suggestions for us if you want us to review something if you want to tell us we're good or we suck send it to our email address at realmoviespodcast at gmail.com have we gotten any suggestions yet for Dr. not gotten a suggestion yet let so. us know let us know we're doing yeah. Winnebago Man next week and so after that it's wide open so you yeah. can you can let us know alright well John thanks so much for sitting here and making Art of the Steel a little bit more interesting just by virtue of talking about it. Yes. Than that really, this 45 minute conversation that we've just had was way more interesting to me <laughs> yeah. than the movie itself. So thank you for that. All right. All right. We'll see you next week. See you next week.